Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, Kitchen Chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. I'm your host, Margaret McSweeney, and it's so exciting to be in the beautiful Viking and La Cornu showroom at the Merchandise Mart with my co-host, Chef Jamie Larita, the brand ambassador. And we are thrilled, beyond thrilled, to be hosting the incredible Iron Chef, Chef Stephanie Izard, here on Kitchen Chat. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, it's, it's, it was so much fun, first of all, to watch the two of you um, feature something from your cookbook. And I forget the name. It was an egg, I forget bacon, the name. I don't even know kimchi, and bacon, <laughs> tasty, egg, yummy, thing, yummy, delicious Yum. thing. <laughs> and we'll make sure we have a link to that video so you can cook along with Chef Stephanie and also with Chef Jamie. But we're so excited to chat about your new cookbook and all the great things you have going on both inside and outside of the kitchen. Um, you are a restaurateur as well, and you're opening a new restaurant in LA. We are. We are. We um, are opening a Girl and the Goat. So it's the first venture outside of Chicago for myself and for my partners with their other restaurants. So I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm all things as you should be when you're opening a restaurant. And then you're balancing it being mom to Ernie. (laughs) Trying to balance it is a better way to put it. Um, Yeah. Each day is sort of, you know, a different challenge waking up and thinking, how is this going to work today? But definitely making as much time as possible to hang out with Ernie and also, you know, finding time to squeeze in work in between. So it works. It works. But each day is a little bit different. I have to ask Stephanie a couple of questions about being a chef and being a top chef. What did you do to prepare for that? Like when you first got onto the show, what did you have to do to prepare for that? Nothing. So Top Chef, um, and that was now 10 years ago. Oh my goodness. At least, well, wait, I'll be 42 this year. It was almost 12 years ago, wow. my season. But I still remember, I called my friend Dale Levitsky, who was on a season before me, and I said, do you have any advice for me? And he said, the only thing I'm going to say to you is, one, you're going to eat so much junk food. Be prepared. They give you nothing to eat. I was like, okay. And two, Down. yeah. Um, wait, what was the other? And he said, you're not, you know, just beware. You're not going to get any sleep. He's like, but I'm not going to tell you anything else. You have to just get there and kind of figure it out. And I got there and you can't really prepare because you don't know what you're preparing for. I did memorize a cake recipe because I did watch the seasons before me. And I know that when people have to do desserts, yeah. they kind of always like, yeah, Freak so that out. that's what I would do. I would like definitely memorize like an ice cream cake, all the basics. Some basics, yeah. yeah some basics. I think um, I ended up making a wedding cake on my season, which is still one of my I think proudest moments. Although I look back and I'm like, wow, I didn't put any icing under the fondant because I had no idea. <laughs> I'd never made a wedding cake before. My pastry chef friend, she's like, yeah, it just didn't stick. You didn't put icing underneath. I'm like, information that would have been more useful oh, a while ago. So when you were. First, I mean, I read a lot about you and I know that you grew up with um, a mom that loved to cook and you were surrounded by by cooking. Was this something that you wanted to have happen <laughs> to your life? Um, 
it's definitely not something I, you know, sought out necessarily. I went to University of Michigan for undergrad. I was going to try to go to business school. I somehow made it. I look at it now. I'm like, I made it into business in a very different way. I went to culinary school to go into business, but I did always love cooking. I always cooked with my mom. So I think it's something that was inside of me. My family's a bunch of artists and I think of cooking as its own form of art. Absolutely. Um, So I kind of, and I can't draw at all. So this is definitely my form of art. And it was just started, it wasn't until I went to culinary school and I walked into my first day of class and I was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. So, you know, you kind of feel like you're surrounded by your people. Right. And yeah, I'm, I get that. And I'm so intrigued because the main ingredient seems to be goat. And what inspired <laughs> you to get the goat? Um, I The goat thing, it's my last name is a type of goat. So Right, and, I read that. Oh, yeah, and, I need to figure out what my last name means. <laughs> probably <means> jackass. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to find a farmer that raises those That's for you. Um, Think of the restaurant name. <laughs> Jamie and the jackass. Um, sorry. It's all good. We, so I found out my last name was a type of goat. Mm-hmm. And my first restaurant was called Scylla, S-C-Y-L-L-A. And everybody mispronounced it. And it turns out that Scylla is a super evil sea monster. I didn't read the Odyssey, so I really had no idea. It's a very long book. It is. Um, so I named my restaurant that. And I was like, well, if we're going to call it Girl and the Goat, we really need to actually cook goat. But I had never, I don't even think I'd eaten goat before we opened. Oh, okay. um, I'd never cooked goat. So because a lot... Goat is one of the most eaten meats in the world, but in a lot of cultures, they put really heavy sauces and spices on it because it can be a little bit overwhelmingly goaty, if you will, how lamb sometimes can be a little intense. Goat can be as well. But the farm that we found has this goat that's just very pure tasting, um, reminiscent of almost like a cross between beef and pork more so than it tastes like lamb. A lot of people that they're like, well, I don't like lamb. I'm like, but you'll like this. So what do you think about like uh, vegetarian cuisine? I love, I mean, our restaurant, we have a whole vegetarian section and it's actually become one of our most popular areas and we have a vegan menu as well. So we have a lot of folks come in that do vegetarian. I think it can be even more challenging to make vegetables taste good to people that like meat. Yeah. So if you're a vegetarian, like you're very excited about a plate of vegetables and things that are, but if you're someone like my husband who to him, a vegetable is steak um, that ate vegetables. <laughs> He'll come in and he only he eats the green beans because they have like this tasty vinaigrette on them. He eats the cauliflower because it has a nice balance. So it's taking vegetables and approaching them in the same way where you think of the layers of flavor right. and not just kind of thinking, oh, it's just vegetables. But how can you make those delicious and celebrate their natural flavors? Right. I was vegetarian for 13 years. I wrote one cookbook in my life with Sarah McLaughlin called Plenty, and it was a vegetarian cookbook. And I was known for making vegetables taste meaty. Nice. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. You can bring them nice and make them nice and hearty if you kind of treat them with spices and just give them like the same amount of love. Really. Uh, yeah, yeah. And cooking them, you know, charring them a certain way to bring out yeah. the flavors. Yeah. And I'm a mom of two vegetarian daughters and it was always a challenge making sure to get the protein. But as a mom and, and balancing everything and also developing a child's palate, what has Ernie been having a taste for? What have you introduced and how do moms introduce cuisine to their kids? Yeah. Any advice on just kind of, we give them everything that we're eating and more really. I mean, I, it's funny because I married a very picky eater, um, which people find very interesting, but it's kind of, I kind of treat them both the same. I'm like, just try it. <laughs> just try it. Um, so we both, I'm picturing them both wearing bibs <laughs> now. <laughs> Um, but it's kind of when, I, when I watch Ernie try something new, he picks it up and he kind of gives it a little taste. And you see his mind thinking about like this new flavor that he's tasting. Um, and, it, you know, and if he likes it, he eats it. If he doesn't, I mean, not everybody's going to like everything, but he goes through little phases of which fruits he likes the best and which 
proteins he likes the best and vegetables. The first thing he ever ate was broccoli, actually. When he was um, six months, we did the baby-led weaning. So he picked up little bits of broccoli and just kind of gnawed on it. Wow, that's young. Yeah, I realized later that I had blanched it in salt water. Um, And so I think he was just sucking the salt (laughs) out of it. And I was like, okay, bad mom. Um, But he, to this day, broccoli is still his favorite vegetable, so... There you go. Very good. And I love how you have this wonderful new cookbook, Gather and Graze, and about gathering the family together. Yeah. I think um, it's so important to just always, you know, gather together. We have such busy lives, yes. but making time for your friends, your family. But the cookbook also, it's not just if you just are yourself cooking, mm-hmm. there's a lot of great recipes for that. There's even an insert that we did that shows how to use the leftovers if you are cooking for yourself and how you can reinvent some of the leftovers and such. So yeah, it's a little bit of everything. That is great. And do you sit down for a special meal time once a week, or how do you manage that? We, I um, try to leave work in time to get home and eat with Ernie at least a few nights a week. He's a little table that's like two feet off the ground. It's one of those tiny little tables. So I just sit down there next to him, and we kind of eat together, and he eats off my plate, I eat off his plate, and we just kind of learn to share in that way. Here's your um, next cookbook, Ernie's Table. Ernie's Table, yes. Oh, I love that. It would be fun. I know. We need to, he has a little cutter too. We were actually just in the kitchen yesterday and he was using his little cutting tool. He has like little steps to get up to the counter and this little cutting tool and he was cutting his own strawberries and wow. um, yeah, sort of like well, you, make him work for his food. You're super busy at this point in your life and having a two-year-old, how do you manage that? I mean, you must not like, you know, he's in this stage of growing and walking and talking. You spend a lot of time with your kid. I do. So he comes and visits at the restaurants in the afternoons. And I just found a way, when you have a number of restaurants, you sort of have to manage them in a different way than before anyway. So I can't always be there anyway. So I can kind of leave a little bit earlier, make sure I get home in time to hang out with him in the evenings. He's a later bedtime than most kids just right. because, it's, you know. Just because his mom's really cool. Because he's a party animal. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> my kid would be, oh my God. I don't even know what my kid would be. Um, so we always have time. And I think my husband and I often like start to doze off before he even goes to bed. But He's like, mom, dad, wake up. Yeah. So um, interesting. So you have, how many employees work for you now? We have a little over 300. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And do you, are you involved in picking these people? I am in most positions. So we bring in cooks to test out in the kitchens and I'll kind of be there and um, give my two cents, but definitely want to trust my sous chefs to make those decisions right. on who fits in the kitchen. Um, as far as, you know, servers and things like that go, I like to make sure I meet the servers before they come on board because they are the most guest interactive. Right. It's impossible to say that I meet everyone that we hire right. um, for every position, but as much as possible. And I'm trying my best. It's a lot of people to get to know. It's a and, lot of people. Um, we've had a lot of people that have been around on our staff for a number of years. So at Little Goat, I think a large percentage has been there since we opened five years ago because it's just such a fun, like close-knit unit. So it's a lot of fun to get to know people over the years. Well, I have to say every person that I've ever met that has worked for you has always said amazing things about the team that works there. And for me, being somebody that really puts a lot of energy into my food, part of the reason why I can't do some of the things that you've done with the competition and all that, my hat goes off to you for being that type of person that can do that. I think sometimes for me, I think I get too emotional about what I put into the food. Oh, yeah, for sure. um, so I think the staff is really important because your hand's not in it. That's part of the thing for, for, for being a chef is that, you know, you have to have other people cooking your food. Yeah, it's very hard. I think something that I often say when there's if a bad review comes in or a guest is unhappy, um, I always really, I'm like, they just think that 
you know, it always comes back to me that, you know, that I didn't uh, make that properly. It does come back to me. You have to train your staff properly and right. uh, make sure that everybody, not everybody tastes things the same. The three of us could have the same thing to eat and have very different experiences sure. just because of our palate. So it's really trying to just get everybody on the same page as much as possible. And I recently went to Duck, Duck Goat and I loved it. I loved it. This is one of the best, I think, one of my favorite restaurants to go to in Chicago. We did a great oh, job. You. And the decor is really great as well. The decor, oh, of course, you'd appreciate that, which I love. It's uh, Abrico from New York. They came in and did that restaurant, and each room has a different theme and a story behind it. And I, when I walked into the restaurant um, while they were building it, like seeing it all transform into real life from paper, from the drawings, I got all, you know, goosebumps and started crying a little bit. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. Now I have to make sure the food is as good as right. the decor. It all matters. Yeah, it it all matters. It's, You're tasting yeah. the decor as well. It's true. And you did a lot of research before you even opened that. You did a lot of travel. Is that right? We did. We did. I mean, you can't. We went to China for a total of a month. So we went for two weeks to mainland China and two weeks to um, Taiwan. But there's only, there's so much to see in China. And I would have to go back so many, so many more times to really soak in the culture as much as I would like to. But we got a glimpse and then we took some pictures and videos and things that we found um, and came back and just did a lot of research. Now there's, it's so great with the internet that you can actually research so many things. And we have a friend who's still in China. So we sent him, we sent him email saying, here's this picture, and we remember eating this, but what was in this? Um, so he helped us kind of poke through and decipher a little bit. And what was the most unusual ingredient that you encountered and that you might be using in your dishes? I think, I think it was more so learning techniques. It's really, to me, what Chinese food... Um, was what was figuring it out. I mean, the the same ingredients do reoccur a lot of times. Um, Pichon paste is really cool. It's a um, a different type of sort of hot pepper paste that sits out in the sun for a whole year in Pichon, which is in the, the Sichuan region. Um, so that's one of my favorite ingredients that we use. But a lot of techniques for making different dumplings and noodles, we decided that we wanted to make every one of our dumpling wrappers and all of our noodles in-house. Um, just as like this sort of, I don't know, it was just like an ambitious thing that I just wanted to do and it definitely took some time to make it all work um, and now we have an amazing staff that is able to execute all of these things every day um, but those techniques you watch people doing it on our trip making soup dumplings in like three seconds and when I came back and tried it for the first time and it took me three minutes to make one wow. and I thought well this is just not going to work it's going to take 15 minutes to make one order um, so it took a lot of time and sort of practice and now training of other people but it's been really a fun challenge yeah and I am in awe, Jamie, that we are with an iron chef. You know, speaking of peppers, you had the pepper challenge and everything. <laughs> but how incredible to be empowering women, because you're the first female top chef, first female iron chef. I mean, what is next? <laughs> I, I mean, it's so great. We have a lot of um, women in our kitchens, and I, I would say our kitchens are probably half and half, and we don't really think about it either way. We like to hire the best people that we can find. Um, but it's just great to see that there are a lot more women coming into the kitchens these days and I hope that I hope that I can inspire people I think I just want people to be you know excited about what they do and great at what they do and that they're working in an environment that they're comfortable in and excited and so that's just what we're working for so if you have something to you know give to someone that may be watching this that's thinking about getting into the culinary field uh, somebody that's 
you are clearly an inspiration to many people at this point. What would you say to them as far as getting into it these days as opposed to, say, 10 years ago? Things have changed so much with social media and, um, you know, I mean, your restaurants, let's, let's put you 20 years ago. Your restaurants today, I think, because you're such a great chef, the word gets out a lot faster on social media. Mm-hmm. And what would you say Which to Which is a, good and bad, depending. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what would you say to someone that's watching this that's, that wants to get into the culinary field? What's the most important thing to know? I think just making sure that you find the place that you're most excited to be, and which might not even be in a kitchen. It could be because of social media. There's so many different things that you can do in the food world now, um, whether it's you know food design or working on just social media in general, things like that. But if you find a kitchen that you're really excited to be in, make sure that you find a chef that you want to learn from, a place that has food that you're excited about and that you're not just going to a place that you're going to feel like you're just going through the daily grind because it is a, it's a hard job. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. Um, It's very tiring on you physically um, and mentally when it's that busy. So making sure there's a place that you're truly excited to be because you're going to spend a lot of time there. Yeah, right. It's really important to have good soil to grow in and a good mentor. Yeah. And you've been such a great mentor to me, Jamie. You have. And as we all know here on Kitchen Chat, we have such a heart for charity. And Chef Stephanie, I love your heart for for charity and all that you're doing. Can you share with us about your special project with Harvest Fest? Yeah, we we launched Harvest Fest about three years ago. Um, Paul Kahn and I both are part of sort of the emerging Fulton Market West Loop area. And we both had the same idea about doing a festival in that area that was really showcasing just the great food of Chicago um, and also music at the same time. So we came together and the first year it was just one day. We wanted to kind of get our feet wet, see how it went. And people truly enjoyed, I think, a festival put on by chefs that's giving back to um, Pilot Light, which is a charity that Paul Kahn works with that works with children. Really just, it kind of brought it all together. It was a family event. Um, People were watching a lot of cooking demos, listening to great music. So we turned it into a whole weekend affair. So this year, September 14th to 16th, um, and we have about 10 or 12 chef friends coming from out of town. Um, Ming Tsai is coming. Jamie Bissonette is coming. Um, just little names. Oh, yeah. Michael Otaggio is coming. So lots of, it's like you just kind of text you like those. You're like, oh, let me text one of my chef friends from there. Right. And it, it's so fun to just see who wants to come and hang out for the weekend. I love the whole concept. I'm all about food, you know, food and mood and music. And where is this being held again? It's right in Fulton Market. So, oh, um, right, yeah, so right, this is right where DuckDuckGo is. Yep. It's a street fair that um, basically it's a combination of a street fair slash a food and wine event, but we're putting it all on the street to really keep it Chicago, that Chicago feel, which right. is one of my favorite things about Chicago oh, is absolutely. in the summer, just going to all the different festivals. Sure. And this one's really, it's bringing in a lot of restaurants that don't do festivals in the city very often. Um, so you can get your only goats food on the street. You can get food from public and you can get food from so many great restaurants. Micho Kaya is joining in this year, which is wow, awesome. That's big. Um, yeah, I'm so excited. It's yeah. been so much fun. Yeah. We'll make sure we have a link to that and also to your cookbook. And is there any special story and special recipe in the cookbook that's really meaningful? I mean, I think the whole, this time of year especially, there's a whole grilling chapter because my husband and I, in the summer, that's all that we do. One, because there's a lot less dishes when you use the grill. Um, But also in Chicago, there's a very short window where, like, grilling is sort of the thing.
day. So as soon as the weather turns nice, you just see us using it every day. And I think it's such a great way to have friends over and you don't have to have everything ready at the same time. True. Just kind of grill something, put it out, grill right, something, right, put it right. out and just have it be, again, just gathering and hanging out with your friends and not letting it be stressful. Um, you can have some things just marinated ahead of time. And I don't know, the whole grilling section I think is my favorite. Plus my dog Bert's in there too. Because he likes to hang out on the grill because he knows that someone's going to drop their pork rib. As everyone knows, I like to end the show with three tips for the home chef. Let's see what Chef Stephanie Izard has to share. You know, I get asked this question a lot and I always kind of pause for a second because I think a lot of times when you're a chef that's cooking at home, you kind of take for granted that you do this. Well, first of all, I take for granted that a lot of times I don't have to do my own dishes at work. Right. So it becomes a complete mess when I'm cooking at home. Wow. Um, Cooking at home is hard, you know, it's, you have different kinds of equipment, but I think something I learned when I married my husband and I love you, Gary, but, um, is that a lot of times home cooks don't let their pans get hot enough. Oh, that's really so, true. It's so important, especially when you're cooking proteins. With this pancake, mm-hmm. we had to let it get hot enough because if you were to put it into a cold pan, it wouldn't rise. Um, you mentioned something to me earlier about people not preheating their ovens. What's, what's up, guys? How come you don't preheat your ovens? It's the same thing. If you put uh, any sort of baked good into a non-preheated oven, you're going to sort of melt the dough instead of letting it rise. So right. with something that you're baking, with proteins, they will stick to the pan. A lot of times people ask, why do my scallops stick to the pan? Because you didn't let the pan get high enough. Stephanie, Great. on that yeah. note, too, there's also like people, when you're using especially a range like this from Viking, that's kind of like a gas pedal. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most people, when they put something like they're frying an egg, do you ever notice like when people come, like you watch someone cook in their house, there's your point where they don't let it heat up enough. And then there's the other person that's got it on raging oh, on high and is scared <laughs> to turn it down. Right. Yeah. Think of this as it's OK to adjust it while you're cooking. And if a recipe says medium high, it doesn't mean put it on medium high for like 10 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Your pan is going to get a little too hot. People, so. people think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to get to know your range, and every okay. range is different. So, it's true. you know, it's kind of like, um, I don't, yeah, getting to know your car, as you're saying with that. Yes. So, and be um, a Mario Andretti. Oh, yes, there you go. <laughs> um, let's see. Another tip, I think, something I, um, I always mention, especially when it comes to cookbooks, is don't be afraid to change recipes around a bit or just sub in some of your favorite ingredients. Like, we just made this, and Jamie's already ready to take this and turn it into a dessert with strawberries and sour cream ice cream and reinvent it a little bit. So, don't be afraid to make it your own. That's what cooking is all about. So take out ingredients, put in new ingredients. I think it's just understanding why an ingredient is in a dish. Um, and then you can sub in something else that kind of fits into that motif. So if you don't like blueberries, put in some strawberries, put in some blackberries, whatever it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, and that's a great tip as well. I mean, also, like, I always tell people when it comes to spices and, and learn your spices, like take them out and actually taste them. Taste them, smell them, understand them. Right, because that's going to inspire you to use them in different ways. You know, yeah. so in this dish that you that you made today, which, by the way, is so delicious, um, I could see so many different ways of twisting that recipe yeah, to take make it your own. Yeah, basic pancake, but you can make so many things. With the spices, I always love to, we're testing spices because we have our own that are on the market, but you can take just plain chicken breast or chicken thighs and sprinkle on a little bit of spices on some different little pieces. I, I love taste testing things at home. It's yeah. something that we do, but that's a good way to taste your spices on something really plain. So you kind of get an understanding of it and you think, oh, this would be really great if I mixed it with tomatoes or right. if I added in um, some, you know. So when you say plain, do you mean like a French fry or an apple slice? I do chicken is what I'm chicken. saying. It's like, it works really well. You could do potatoes also. Okay. Like just something that isn't going to um, affect the flavor of the spice at all. But when you taste it just raw, it kind of tastes a little bit different. So speaking of your spices, you have lots of things on the market as far as products. 
I was uh, in the grocery store. You're in Mariano's, mm-hmm. and you have lots of different dressings and stuff like that. What's been your most like surprise, like as far as like selling products? What's been the most popular? Uh, well, we have so this little goat. It is a line of cooking sauces and spices. Well, maybe the absolute surprise, but our biggest seller, which is my favorite, we in house we call it the saute. It's what we cook our green beans in it, girl and the goat. But my favorite thing is that people send us back um, sort of reports on what they're making with it at home, and it's more versatile than I really even realized because we are so used to using it for specific things in the restaurants. And when you see other people trying different things at home, using it as a marinade, um, using it for all sorts of things in their fried rices and noodle dishes, it's really great to just see how people have been so creative with the sauces. Do you have anything new coming out as far as a product? That you can we talk do. about? We do. We're working on, I can't talk about it in detail. Okay. <laughs> um, but we're working on some new things to add into the lines with um, some different products in the meat section, as well as some other sort of fun, crunchy things that are happening. Fun, so, crunchy things. Fun, crunchy things. She doesn't love the fun, crunchy things. <laughs> it's true. Texture is so important to me. So it I is. think it's like really great to give people an easy way to add that in. Cool. So three top tips would be... Oh, yeah, we forgot the, gas- the third tip. <laughs> well, I guess spice. Um, I mean, third, I also think it's so important to think about leftovers. Oh. Now, if you think about it, there's so many things, and this still happens to me. You look in your fridge, and there's all this old food that's going to waste. So if you have your friends over, if you gather and graze with your friends, and there's a bunch of leftovers, send them home with gifts of food. Because a lot of times you have too many leftovers for you and your family to eat, and that's you're not going to want to eat it four days in a row. So I always have some quart containers that are leftover from... Um, Chinese takeout or whatnot, things that you're not going to be sad to give away. Put some leftovers and send your friends home with gifts of food. I'm going to totally sit outside Stephanie's house <laughs> with Tupperware and wait for the leftovers. You're like, to come I brought out. my own Tupperware. Girl, I'm waiting. You know, I got my own cups. Let's do this. Thank you for the three tips here on Kitchen <laughs> <And> Chat. <laughs> Thank you, Iron Chef Stephanie Izard, for being on Kitchen Chat today. Make sure you get a copy of her new book, Gather and Graze. And thank you, Chef Jamie Larita, for being on Kitchen Chat. Come visit him in the Viking La Cornu showroom in the Merchandise Smart Suite 137. Come visit me in my kitchen, kitchenchat.info, and check out thevikinglife.com. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.